Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Stay awake, the Lord says, lest he come and find you asleep. Easier said than done. <laughs> Especially in a world that continually saps our energy and attempts to lull us into apathy and complacency with each and every passing day. It can be difficult to stay awake for even a short time for important things, driving home from California or Phoenix or waiting up for a loved one to get home, trying to take care of a newborn. I figured out why by the time you become a grandparent, how easy it is to fall asleep in the recliner in front of the TV. It starts now when they're newborns. It's not that we don't want to stay awake, but falling asleep is just way too easy. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Not only does the world try to lull us to sleep when we shouldn't be sleeping, it also tries to keep us awake when we need rest. Flip through a few news channels for more than a couple minutes right before bed and see how well you can sleep. It's no wonder late night TV is always advertising sleep aids and fancy beds and fancy pillows. You can wash my pillow with your favorite blue jeans. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> the doom and the gloom outside is enough to give anyone nightmares. We are reminded of Jesus' words from last week, and we can't help but draw the comparison between them and the news on TV today. And when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains, says Jesus. We could read this text any given day and still be able to point out recent catastrophic earthquakes, escalating warfare. This week, earthquake here, hurricane there, war there, war in Iraq, war in Syria, war brewing with Iran or whatever, war all of the time. And some of you have seen that war face to face. If the outside world can't stop you from caring, its best chance is to make you terrified. But the end is not yet. Jesus reminds us of the lesson of the fig tree. When it starts to come to life, you know that summer is near. Likewise, when the world seems to be getting worse and worse, you know that each day is one day closer to the Lord's return. It would be so nice to know exactly when Jesus was coming back to end all of this mess and restore his creation so that we could plan accordingly. But then again, how would we use those plans? How would we use 
that information. We may be tempted to say, well, I have five years, six months, 13 days, and 15 hours before Jesus returns, so I have plenty of time to run up my credit cards, do whatever I feel like, eat, drink, and be merry, and then repent the day before he gets back. Wrong answer. This would be what St. Paul describes as using your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. Still, another response would be to worry and stew over the coming disaster in which many of your friends and family who don't know Jesus will be caught asleep upon his return. But again, wrong answer. Worrying is worthless unless it is accompanied by prayerful action. If you can worry... And I know many of you can. <laughs> you worry along with the best of us. If you can worry, you can pray. The difference is whether you pile up your concerns on yourself or turn them over to God where they belong. And in prayer, we often discover that God can use us as the answer to our own prayers for the sake of our friends and loved ones. This is what we call vocation. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything except insomnia, adrenal fatigue, and ulcers. God, on the other hand, can change everything. There's another way we might spend our last days on earth, knowing that the Lord's return was imminent. We could start by calculating the number of people on earth who do not know Jesus Christ. Then maybe a little math to figure out how long it would take for every Christian on earth to share the gospel with each and every other person who hasn't yet heard or hasn't believed. We would soon realize that the time is extremely short, and it would take some sort of a miracle for the whole world to hear in that span of time. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's exactly the situation that we're in. Whether you know it or not, the only difference is that we don't have a countdown clock for the end of the world, despite what some people have often speculated. No one knows the day or the hour, says the Lord, so be on guard. Stay awake. You servants and doorkeepers of the household of God, stay awake. Dr. Luther, of blessed memory, once claimed, If I knew for certain that the Lord would return tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. You see, we need not be afraid of the Lord's return because he's returning for you. He says, and then you, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out the angels and gather his elect, those whom he has hand-picked to be his own, that means you, gather them up from the ends of the earth. And it just so happens that you are among those elect, those who have been claimed by God from before the foundation of the world. Chosen and claimed and cleansed in the water of holy baptism. Jesus tells us elsewhere, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
And since we can rejoice in, rather than dread the Lord's return, we are again brought to the work of planting apple trees, laying the foundation, sowing seed of the gospel for the benefit of the next generation. About six years ago, some of you might remember this, a man named Harold Camping, who was very popular on the radio in the San Diego area, a man named Harold Camping convinced his followers that Jesus was absolutely going to return on October 21st, 2012. Keep in mind that this date, October 21st, was chosen after his previous prediction of May 21st turned out to be incorrect. No one knows the day or the hour. A few months after October 21st came and went, Harold Camping apologized and repented of incorrectly teaching the scriptures and ignoring Jesus' warning that no one knows the day or the hour. You see, Camping's followers had racked up enormous debt in preparation for the end of the world, going on one last vacation that always seemed out of reach, maxing out credit cards, failing to make car payments and mortgages, spending quite literally as if there were no tomorrow. His insistence that he knew better than Christ when the end would come cost he and his followers dearly. The alternative to this is much like Luther's insistence that life goes on. Providing for our families must go on until Christ returns. Sharing the gospel must go on. And we even see God's mercy for the lost in giving us one more day, each and every day, to share the good news with them. St. Paul writes that God desires that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So how then do we stay awake? It's hard enough to stay awake behind the wheel for a few hours on a long trip. Some Sundays it's even hard to stay awake during the sermon. I've told this before, but I'll share it with you again. There was a man that in the middle of pastor's sermon one Sunday, stood up and walked right out the aisle and went out the door. His wife was just terribly embarrassed. But when she shook the pastor's hand on her way out after the service, the pastor was apologetic, and he said, I'm, I'm so sorry if I did something to offend Frank in the sermon. And she said, oh, no, pastor. He, he really likes you a lot, but Fred's been, Frank has been sleepwalking since he was a child. <laughs> Now you know why I talk so loud. <laughs> so we can't even stay awake for a sermon. How has the church stayed awake for the 2,000 years plus since Christ first came? If it's up to us, it's impossible. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after washing his disciples' feet, establishing his holy supper, he went to Gethsemane with them while he prayed in great distress. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he came and found them 
sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Keep in mind that this is only one chapter later than our reading for today from Mark's gospel. Only a day or two after Jesus had spoken to them. And how haunting these words of Jesus must have been for the disciples who, despite their best efforts, just could not stay awake. Even more so when Jesus awakes them again and says, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. If Jesus' own chosen disciples could not remain awake at his darkest hour, how are we to stay awake for a lifetime? Furthermore, Jesus' chosen twelve are all dead and buried. How are they to stay awake now? Peter was crucified. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Thomas pierced with a spear in India, James, the brother of John, beheaded, Matthew killed with a spear, Philip stoned to death, etc., and so on and so forth. See, the difference between Maundy Thursday, when the disciples could not stay awake, and today is two days in the life of the church that make all the difference. Two days that change the world forever. Easter and Pentecost. You see, in that garden on Thursday night, the disciples had no idea what was about to happen, despite the fact that Jesus told them plainly at least three times. They were sprawled out in the grass, much like you and I may have been on Thursday evening, full from a celebratory meal and drowsy. By rising from the dead, declaring his victory over life and death over all things, demonstrating to the entire world his kingship over all of creation as the God of the universe and human flesh. The other name that we have for this Sunday on the church calendar, besides the very fancy last Sunday of the church year, is Christ the King Sunday. And how did Jesus show his kingship? By reigning over sin, death, and the devil, putting them all under his feet. And because Christ rose from the dead, he sent his promised Holy Spirit upon the whole church at Pentecost, creating and sustaining faith in all of his people, equipping them for his mission to save the world, equipping them to stay awake in faith until his coming. So the apostles may have died from our perspective. Many of our loved ones, too. Inevitably, so will we. But the beauty and joy of our Lord's return, combined with his resurrection and his promised Holy Spirit, is that he is awake in us. Even though we rest in the grave, it is he that will awaken us at his coming and he that will keep us awake should he return before we die. 
We rejoice with St. Paul who wrote in Romans, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Dear friends, Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's coming back for you. To bring you into his eternal kingdom to dwell with you forever and ever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, guard your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you rise and confess that faith? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty.